Good morning, VCDC. It's, uh, I was going to say it's great to see you. Uh, it's great to be seen by you wherever you've gathered. Uh, I'm going to be continuing our series uh, that we just started called Season of Rest. And uh, hopefully you were able to put the study guide to use last weekend. Did you go for a walk with Jesus? I hope you did. Uh, just as a reminder, each week's study guide will be available online at vcdc.org. Uh, you just press the notes button, you can download the study guide, and that'll be available right after the sermon uh, today online. So make sure you check that out. Last weekend, JT kicked it off by looking at uh, rest in wonder. This week, we're looking at rest in peace. And that might sound a little strange to your ears. And I mean, like church, my prayer for you is that you would rest in peace. And it might sound strange because typically when you uh, you would say that about someone who's passed away, like, may they rest in peace. You'd see that written uh, on gravestones. But right off the top, as we talk about peace today, about resting in peace, I want to make something real clear. Uh, peace is more than an emotion. It's more than an event. It's more than a concept. Peace is a person. Jesus is peace. I mean, think about one of the names that Jesus is giving. given. It's Jesus is the hmm, uh, hmm. That's it. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the true source of the true peace. And when the Bible talks about peace, about true peace, it uses uh, one word. There's a Hebrew word, and that word is shalom. Look at what it means. It means completeness, soundness, well-being. Biblical peace, true peace, uh, shalom peace is full life peace. It's body uh, soul, spirit, mind, peace, it's past, present, it's future peace, it's relational peace, uh, both peace with, with God, peace with uh, others, it's peace with, with yourself, with oneself. Biblical peace has very little to do with whether or not the sky of your life is uh, sunny and blue or uh, dark gray clouds and rains. Uh, and that's because biblical peace is not built on our circumstances, but instead built on our relationship with Jesus. Listen to this. Isaiah 26, 3 says this. It says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. It says that you will keep in perfect peace, shalom peace, full life peace and isn't that what we isn't that what we all long for so how do we get that well it answers the question uh, by trusting in God fixing our thoughts on God building our lives on the eternal rock on Jesus and when I think back to uh, to my Easter talk that feels like a long time ago now but do you remember I said this I said you know really finding that peace or what God was calling us into is, is learning to be remembering people not just at Easter uh, but really, every day of our lives, God's peace is an everyday peace. And I can't think of a time when the need for peace has ever been greater. Uh, now, you may be wondering, uh, why are we filming this today at Allen Creek Reservoir? That's where we're at, Allen Creek Reservoir. And uh, there's two reasons why we're filming here today. One, because we can. And I love just being able to be mobile and just go record in all these places but also because our story today takes place on a body of water. It takes place on the Sea of Galilee. So if you have your Bible, please turn to uh, John chapter 21. We're going to work through a chunk of this chapter. Uh, let's start by reading verses 1 to 3. Here's what it says. 
It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, when we look at this story, I want us to, right off the bat, put ourselves in the sandals of the disciples. Uh, for the last three years, they have literally been with, you know, shoulder to shoulder, following Jesus every day. And now they've gone through this, this emotional roller coaster of the, you know, the, the crucifixion, his dead body laid in the tomb. Now he's resurrected two times before this story, two times Jesus has literally appeared, popped in to see them, totally uh, freaked them out. But, but in a sense, since the resurrection, these guys, the disciples, have been on their own. Now think about that. Three years, every day with Jesus, and now suddenly they don't know when they're going to see him next. So what do they do now? I mean, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, you do what's familiar. And in the story, these guys primarily are fishermen, so when they don't know what to do, they fall back on what they know, and that's fishing. They go fishing. And I'm sure some of you are amening right now that that makes sense. They should go fishing. But have you ever considered this? This jumped out at me at this point of the story. These disciples, these followers of Jesus, that when I look at what they're going through in this story, that I look at that and I go, boy, I can totally relate to that. And here's what I mean. I sometimes struggle to relate with them uh, earlier on when they're always hanging out with Jesus. And what I mean is this, I relate to their humanity. I mean, I, I see their struggles and their different things. But, but let's face it, they have Jesus right there with them all the time. You know, now do this. No, don't do that. Like he's totally leading them. But now in the story, they don't see him as much. In the story, they, they literally don't know when they're going to see Jesus again. Now, that I can relate to. I'm sure you can relate to that too. Learning to follow Jesus when I can't see him with my eyes. Learning to follow Jesus when the, when the path just isn't very clear. Learning to follow Jesus when his voice is drowned out by, by lots of other voices. And I, I've been thinking that for many of us, during this time of quarantine, see if this picture helps. It, maybe it's felt like the guardrails, right? The guardrails that used to help us stay on the healthy road have suddenly disappeared. And, and that reminds me of when I was a kid, I went to Disneyland and there was this, this race car ride you could go on. And uh, my dad and I got in a car and, and he let me drive. I was surprised by that because I was just a kid. But I remember trying so hard to keep that car on the track. I was so afraid of driving off the track. Well, what my dad knew that I didn't know was that uh, that there was a guardrail running down the middle of that track that like I couldn't have driven off the track even if I wanted to. But doesn't it feel like during this time, doesn't it feel like in many ways that the guardrail is gone? And, and maybe for some of you, you found yourselves, maybe you've driven off the healthy road and you've gone into places that, well, maybe they haven't been really that good for you. Like maybe you've done some damage to your car, if you will, to your life. To relationships like for many of us our routines are like totally shot our daily routines our eating routines our sleeping routines 
our eating routines, uh, our exercise routines, our eating routines, uh, our spiritual routines. Like, let me ask you a question. Are you struggling during this time to connect with Jesus? Like if you would say, yeah, yeah, I am. Let me tell you, you are not alone. Understand that like the reason uh, as a church, the reason we're doing all these online events, the Monday prayer uh, that we did, which was I thought was wonderful, uh, the Wednesday devotionals that, that we're sending out, the, uh, the small groups that are meeting different days of the week. It's, uh, it's not too late to join a small group. Uh, the Friday worship time. Wasn't that wonderful on Friday? Uh, the weekend services that we're recording. Understand that we're not doing these just to keep the staff busy, right? Uh, like everything else we do as a church community, the goal, the purpose of all these things is always for connection. And primarily it's for connection with Jesus. So let me encourage you. Like we don't know how long we're going to be doing online church. So again, let me encourage you to participate as much as possible. Our hope with all these new weekly routines, our hope is that they really would be like guardrails, helping you, helping me, helping us stay on the healthy road connected with Jesus. So back to the story. The disciples, they're feeling a little lost. They're wandering uh, on the road, and so they've gone back to what they know, and that's fishing. So as the story continues, they've been fishing all night, and they haven't caught anything. Let's take it up in verse 4. <clears throat> Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Two things going on in this passage that I wanna uh, bring to our attention. First is this, Jesus is reminding them what they've been called to, but he's also reminding them of who they've been called to. So, what have they been called to? If the story we just read from John, if that sounds familiar to you, like, wait a minute, that sounds like almost identical to something really similar that happened earlier on in the story of Jesus. Well, if, 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 if that's you, well then you're right, you're correct, it's totally the same. You can read that story later, it's in Luke chapter five, but really what's happening in Luke five is it's the first time that the disciples are meeting Jesus. And he does something that just totally blows their minds. I mean, in that story, very similar to this one, they catch this uh, massive uh, catch of fish because of what Jesus told them to do. And again, it blows their minds. And they're looking at Jesus like, who is this guy? And, and at that point in the story in Luke 5, Jesus says to these disciples, he says, hey, to these guys, he says, hey, I want you to come and follow me. Now, I guarantee that the sense of deja vu uh, was not lost on the disciples. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why John recognized that the stranger on the beach was Jesus was because of the familiarity of the story. But why does Jesus do the same story again? Like, why does he reveal himself to them the same way as he originally did? Well, 
he was reminding them, and I believe he's reminding us, that you guys, nothing has changed. From the first time I called you to come follow me, those marching orders still stand. In a sense, he was recalling them. So hear that, no matter what storm we go through, uh, no matter how hard or how confusing life gets, what Jesus is teaching here is that, hey, the call doesn't change. It always is, come and follow me. So Jesus reminds them of their call, but then he also reminds them of who they've been called to. And the first time in Luke, when they met Jesus, he blew the doors off their fishermen lives, not really because of his sermon, but because of his demonstration of power. I mean, Jesus finishes his talk. This is again in Luke 5. He finishes talk and he turns to Peter, who him and his friends had caught nothing the night before. And Jesus tells him, hey, just go out into the deep water and throw your net out again. And Peter says this to him in, in, in Luke 5. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But listen to this. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, because you say so, I wonder if Peter in his heart was thinking, come on, I'm the pro. I'm the fisherman here. You're the rabbi. I mean, like you stay in your lane. But then it's like he stops and he goes, but there's something different about this guy. And so, okay, because you said so, we're going to do it. They do what he says, and what happens? Well, if you're familiar with the story, massive catch of fish. And then now back to John. It's almost the identical scenario, fishing all night, nothing's caught. But then this stranger, hey, this stranger yells out, you know, some fishing advice to professional fishermen. I'm sure that was well received. But he says this to him. He yells out to them, hey, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You'll find some fish. Now, like, do you really think the key to their large haul of fish was that 10 feet from the left side of the boat to the right side of the boat? Not at all. Jesus was reminding them, remember, remember that other story. Remember that other time, we, the first time we met? Remember that the one you are called to follow can do anything. He can do anything. The key to their successful fishing, the, uh, the key to their experiencing of this miracle of the power of God was obedience to what Jesus told them to do. And that's not just in the area of, of experiencing God's power. It's also in the area of experiencing God's peace. We need to do things His way. Uh, uh, here's a verse, a couple verses that tell us how to experience God's peace. Philippians 4, 6 says this, and you've probably read this or heard this scripture a lot during this time. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the peace that we all long for in this season, the shalom peace, this full life peace, it cannot be found on our own. Like that peace cannot be found by uh, or, or in any human means. It's, it's only found in Jesus. So how do, how do we find that? Well, he tells us in, that, in those verses. Like, it, can you see in this scripture from Philippians that, there's, that there really is some movement going on in these, ver in these verses, some very clear instructions? It basically says, look, you're, you're fixed on your situation that's causing all this anxiety. And what he's saying is you need to now turn from looking at that and you need to turn and you need to be face 
to face with Jesus. You need to turn away from the anxiety and through prayer, and really that's the way we turn to face Jesus is through prayer. And through prayer we turn towards Him and it's in that place where we make that exchange and it's in that place where we experience the peace that only God can give, the peace that makes no sense considering the situation of our lives. Now, back to the story. I bet the atmosphere around the campfire was pretty peaceful for the disciples. Uh, they're with Jesus. Uh, but maybe not all of them. Maybe not all of the disciples. I have a hunch that Peter would have been struggling at this time. Uh, I'm sure he was glad that Jesus was there. I'm sure he was super excited that Jesus was resurrected. But I think he would have struggled turning his face towards Jesus. And I think it's because of what happened before Jesus went to the cross. This is, maybe you're familiar with this story, but before Jesus went to the cross and Jesus is telling him what's gonna happen, Peter makes this bold statement to Jesus. He says in Matthew 26, hey, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. But within hours of making that bold statement, uh, Peter was denying that he even knew Jesus. Three times. And on the third time, listen to what happened. This is from Luke 22. Uh, Peter says this. Peter replied, and this is his third denial. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know this guy, Jesus. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now imagine this. It says, right at that moment, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, Peter, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Like, oh, like can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine like just the weight, the rock that would have been that Peter would have been carrying around in his chest? I mean, uh, I, but here's something that I love about God, that God isn't just a God who pursues the masses. God is the God who goes after the individual. And it doesn't say when in the story, but at some point Jesus gets up from the, the campfire and says, hey, Peter, let's go for a walk. And they go walking down the beach. And this is what happens. Uh, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Walk a little further down the beach. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. They walk a little further down the beach. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, there's a lot going on in this conversation, but what I want to look at and what I want to end off with is how Jesus pursues Peter at his place of greatest shame. Three times Peter denied Jesus, but notice this. Three times Jesus gave him the opportunity to say what Peter probably wished he would have said a few days back. Peter deeply loved Jesus. Oh, how he loved Jesus. And he thought, there's no way I would ever deny this guy. But then the guardrails start falling off of his life, and Peter does what he didn't think was in him to do. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever done uh, something like Peter? And what I mean is, have you ever uh, done something where you were shocked by the words that came out of your mouth? 
or you were shocked by the actions that you were doing. Uh, maybe in this season with our guardrails down, maybe you've driven off the road. And maybe like Peter, there's, there's, maybe you're carrying a weight. There's a sense of shame. Maybe as a, as a parent, you've lost your temper. Uh, maybe you've been looking for peace in places that are harmful. Uh, maybe you're drinking more than normal. Maybe you've, you're giving yourself you know, some pandemic permission to venture further into risky literature or videos or like, so whatever it is, wherever there's shame right now, uh, know that that is probably keeping you from turning face to face with Jesus. So I want you to be encouraged by this story. In the story, Jesus is restoring Peter both to relationship and, and to calling, into, into what God was calling him to do. Jesus could have easily said to Peter, hey, Peter, Peter, hey, I know you denied me. I know all about that. Uh, I want you to know that I forgive you, so we're good. Like he could have just said it that way, uh, but the way he did it, the way Jesus did it gave Peter the opportunity to totally own what he had done. It was very specific. Three denials and now three opportunities to express his love to Jesus. It communicated to Peter and it, should, and it communicates to us the kind of intimate relationship Jesus has invited us into. He wants nothing to come between us. He made it perfectly clear. He wanted Peter to be totally clear that he had been forgiven for the three denials that he had made. Jesus also reminded them that he wasn't disqualified from the job Jesus had given him. Feed my sheep, Peter. That still stands. Feed my sheep, guide my sheep. You know, I think Jesus didn't doubt that Peter would continue to follow him, but he was addressing, and this is important, he was addressing how Peter would follow him. He would not allow Peter to be a follower that always questioned where he stood with Jesus. A follower who's afraid to turn their face towards Jesus. Jesus wants face-to-face -face followers. You know, after this talk with Jesus, when you look at the life of Peter, he was a new man. I mean, he was a man. He had shalom peace in his heart. He lived the rest of his life as a face-to-face -face follower of Jesus. And, you know, I, I want to stop right here and just take some time. Boy, the sun is out. It's great. It's gorgeous. Take some time just to invite the Holy Spirit to come close wherever you are. I mean, the crazy thing is, I don't know who's watching this right now. It might just be my parents. <laughs> but, but whoever's watching this right now, I want to invite the Holy Spirit like to emphasize, to highlight what he's saying to you today. So let's, let's just quiet ourselves. Again, I love last weekend, JT, when he just encouraged us to open our hands. I want to encourage you to do the same thing, just to open your hands, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we ask, uh, we ask that you would come close right now. And just as I feel the wind blowing on me, I pray that the wind of your spirit would blow on people wherever they're watching right now. I pray that there would just be a sense of you being there, just a very personal, powerful sense of you. So just come, Holy Spirit. Just come and highlight what you're saying today. So here's what I want to do to end off. <coughs> you know, uh, all week I've had this in my mind that I really believe that for some of you, today is the day that Jesus is inviting you to turn his fa your face towards him. And some of you, it might be for the first time, 
you know, if you're honest, you're like, boy, I have no peace in my life. And when you talk about peace, boy, I would love to have that peace. Well, it starts by turning your face towards Jesus. It starts by starting a relationship with him. I feel like for some of you, maybe, maybe as you've listened to this talk, that you've come and you've, you've really gotten in touch with that rock in your chest, maybe some shame, maybe some condemnation, and you find it hard to look to turn face to face towards Jesus. Well, I really believe the Lord's inviting you to turn your face towards him. I, you know, I was reminded when I was a kid, I saw a bumper sticker and, and the bumper sticker said this. It said, no Jesus, no peace, N-O. No Jesus, N-O, no peace. But then it said, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace, K-N-O-W, no peace. No Jesus, no peace, no hope, no joy, etc. But when you know Jesus, then you really do know peace and hope and joy. So if that's you, if that's really connecting with you, I just want to say a prayer for you right now. Uh, so Lord, I pray for those of you today who struggle to turn their face towards you, whether it's just because I just didn't know I could do that or whether it's because of shame or guilt, I pray right now uh, that just the, the power of the cross that you are a forgiving, pursuing God, that who pursues the masses, but who pursues the individual. I just pray right now that you uh, would really come close to those people and help them uh, turn towards you and be face to face with you. Well, bless you, VCDC. Uh, uh, enjoy this final song. Uh, JT's gonna lead us, worship the Lord, be reminded of his goodness. Have a wonderful week, and we will see you next week. Bless you.